But I do know that just those three rounds of stimulus um, payments, it created about $867 billion of direct payments to taxpayers. So again, the big concern when I talk to people is how's that all getting paid for? Puzzles go by a lot of names. Jigsaws, crosswords, sudokus, brain teasers, brain bashers, brain knitters, knotters, and bucklers. You get the idea. On this show, we deal with financial puzzles. Your host is Money and Clarity Certified Financial Planner, Nikki Early. It's time for the show. Let's put the pieces together. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Nikki Early, Certified Financial Planner, partner at Money and Clarity, serving you all throughout the Cincinnati area and the surrounding communities as well. Find us online at moneyandclarity.com. Nikki, great to be with you this week. How are you? I am great. How are you doing, Walter? Oh, I'm fantastic. I'm excited to chat with you a little bit on the show today. Are you? Uh, the world is kind of getting back to normal around us now. Nikki, are you kind of sensing that more and more each day? Absolutely. So Ohio is going to raise, or I shouldn't say raise, they're going to eliminate a lot of the restrictions starting June 2nd. So that's right around the corner. Um, my son is graduating from high school this weekend and we actually get to attend a ceremony. Yeah. Yeah. So he did decide on uh, playing lacrosse in college. He's going to go to Lexington to a real small school there called Transylvania. So we're excited for that. But yeah, it seems like um, we're kind of getting back to some sort of normalcy, if you will. Yeah, that's fantastic. How does it feel to have... Uh, or, so you'll be officially an empty nester now, or you have a younger younger one still I have occupying. a daughter, okay, yeah. So I have a 14-year-old daughter, so we'll still have her for another four years. It hasn't quite hit me yet. Um, you know, I'm sure when we're driving him down with all his stuff, it will. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you'll have, uh, you have a smaller transition into the empty nest world. You'll get like a taste of it today, but not, or this weekend, but not then the full brunt of it when you truly have the empty house. Exactly. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, congrats once more and uh, to, to both you and to him as well. And uh, good luck on his college journey in the future. Uh, on today's show, we're going to be talking about financial planning in, uh, we can call it Biden's America now, right? We're, we're past the 100-day mark of Joe Biden's are, presidency. Yep. And uh, it has already provided plenty of fodder for discussion, as any presidential change certainly does. But especially in the financial realm, um, there's been so much discussion with everything that's gone on. In fact, from the time that we were preparing these notes, Nikki, we then had like the uh, the gas you know crisis hit sort of yep. the southeast. You know, we could add that onto the list of economic conversations and financial planning issues um, that we're going to be discussing today. So we're going to look at some of the top issues from the past couple of months in this first 100 days of the new administration and look at some of the impacts that have occurred in financial planning, uh, the markets, and the economic climate in general. But I'm mostly curious, this isn't so much political stance time, um, Nikki, it's more about what are your conversations with clients looking like as these issues develop? That's, I guess, what I'm really trying to get to the heart of. So gotcha. first thing on the list, uh, coronavirus, we mentioned, hey, kind of getting back to normal here a little bit. But the last couple of months, we, we saw the more coronavirus stimulus come through and the continued response to the pandemic and the economic implications. I think now we're seeing issues of like people not going back to work, um, shortages of having enough employees to run some small businesses. We're starting to see a lot of these ripple effects. What are those conversations looking like between you and, and clients and sort of your read on the situation? Yeah, well, I find that most of the people that I speak with, they're 
clearly concerned about the implications um, all this spending is going to do to their taxes, short term and long term for that matter, um, and rightfully so. Now, if you've ever listened to Dan, any of our listeners out there, and I discussed taxes in the past, you know that we're extremely concerned just looking at Social Security, Medicare, as far as how that's going to be funded. But then when you add all this additional spending, you know, it just makes it amplified, our concern, if you will. Now, I want to kind of touch on two different areas that I think are really important. And the first being the stimulus checks themselves. And then the second being the um, unemployment that has keeps getting um, continued. So again, you mentioned, you know, people not going to work because it's more advantageous for them to stay home than it is to go work. So, but first, as far as the stimulus checks, just to remind everyone, we had three different rounds so far. Um, the first was the CARES Act, and I want to say that was 1200 per adult and 500 per child. The second round was the Consolidated Appropriations Act, and that gave both children and adults 600 per. And then the third round was that American Rescue Plan, where we all got... 1400 per adult per child. Now, that that second round had nowhere near as good a name as the first and the third. Did it? <laughs> I know, I know. And it's hard to say consolidated appropriations. Yeah, I was like that, that, that one did not and, ring any bells whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Or I guess you'd call it CAA, I don't know. Anyway. Now, there were income limits. So, if you made a certain amount of money, and rightfully so, you didn't get, you know, you didn't get your stimulus check, but you probably didn't need it. So that in itself, and then we talk about the unemployment benefits that they've been extended through the end, no, September 6th at $300 a week. Now that was originally, if you recall, $600 a week through, I think, the end of July in 2020. Um, so essentially, you could essentially, or essentially, I'll say that three more times, um, you could potentially receive 79 weeks of unemployment benefits. And on top of that, if you did... The first in 2020, I want to say $10,200 you didn't have to pay taxes on. So not only are you receiving the benefit, but you're not paying taxes on it. Now, I'm sure you are you heard about the jobs report that just came out, right, Walter? Yeah, falling. Yeah. Not as many jobs were uh, filled reported, as we thought yeah. or reported. A couple yeah. of different takeaways from it. Mm -hmm. So they were, I guess Wall Street was expecting like a million new jobs, and there were about 266,000. So way below expectations. Um, so much so that some of the governors are saying, you know what, we're going to cut benefits, unemployment benefits starting in June. I, and to your point, they don't want it to be more advantageous for people to stay home than go to work. And I don't know about you, but when I'm kind of traveling around the city or going into restaurants or stores, um, you know, you do see help wanted signs a lot. Now, I haven't got a real clear um, figure as far as what the unemployment cost has been to us taxpayers. But I do know that just those three rounds of stimulus um, payments, that created about $867 billion of direct payments to taxpayers. So again, the big concern when I talk to people is, how's that all getting paid for? Always takes us back to the taxes concern, yes, right? Yes, it does. <laughs> and uh, that'll be an overarching theme through a lot of this. So I'm sure we'll, let's, we'll circle back to that, I'm imagining, Nikki, mm -hmm. maybe as we get to the end of the, the podcast. But let's look at a couple of other items as well. So that's all the stuff that's gone on with coronavirus. But coronavirus or no coronavirus and, and throwing even stimulus out of the equation for a moment. 
we get one of Joe Biden's biggest proposals and uh, something he's being very aggressive about here in the first 100 days, and that's talking about the infrastructure plan. And again, we're in the trillions of dollars here in terms of the discussion, not billions. The $2 trillion infrastructure plan generated some big news for a couple of days, although news happens so quickly. <laughs> these it days. does. <laughs> it already feels like it's kind of gone a little bit to the back burner, but this will be something we hear more and more about as it gets rolled out and talked about a little bit more. Right. So the administration, again, it goes back to how we're going to pay for it. And, you know, if you've seen Joe Biden talking on um, television and talking about the plan, you know, the administration saying that if you don't make more than $400,000, your taxes won't be affected. I, I just find that hard to believe, but, you know, maybe so. That the additional taxes are going to come from those making more than the 400000 and then they're talking about raising the corporate tax rate from 21 to 28%. And then there's um, something along the lines, too, if you're a U.S. company and you're making global profits, so you have your industry in a different country, that they're going to raise the taxes on um, those earnings as well. So again, depending on your political leaning, you may or may not think that this plan is a good one, the infrastructure plan. Certainly, um, certainly has its consequences. <laughs> this one, yeah. at least some of the consequences are we don't know what it's going to turn into. At least this one, it's sort of spelling out what it's going to look like. Right. Whether you choose to trust it or believe it is one thing. But Yeah. And what I'm reading is that part of the bill does focus on things like roads and bridges and clean drinking water, broadband, and the power infrastructure itself. But another large piece being called care infrastructure. And this is including like paid family and medical leave, access to affordable child care and long-term care, and then um, increases in wages and benefits to the people that provide that type of care. So that's all in the bill too. Now, Again, trying not to be too political and just saying what one side sees and what the other side sees. But it seems like the left sees the bill as creating really good jobs for working class Americans. The right doesn't really appreciate the green initiatives that are associated with the plan. And they think it's just really a proposal that is going to be an excuse for really, really high tax increases. So it, like you said before, with this cyber attack on um, the ransomware on the Colonial Pipeline, which I did hear this morning that undisclosed, they paid, was it $5 million? $5 million, it sounds million. like, yeah. Yeah, to, uh, to uh, in ransom, essentially. Um, I thought you weren't supposed to negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, and then there's a whole other thing with, you know, they're from Russia, and did the Russian government know? And oh my gosh, so a lot there. But again, the concern is how are we going to pay for the plan itself? It's a little scary when you see some things get exposed like that with the pipeline. Although everything I continue to hear sounds like the panic is what drove the shortages, that mm -hmm. there were solutions in place where if the world had just ticked along as normal without anybody knowing about it. There may have been a few stations that had gone dry here and there, but for the most part, they would have been able to still funnel in enough oil to keep things going for a little while. But uh, Yeah, and you're in the Northeast. Did that affect you much at all? Uh, well, I'm, I'm in the Southeast. Um, or I'm sorry. Yeah, it, and, it, and it did, absolutely. In fact, I didn't go into the office twice this week so that I could conserve fuel in my car because my wife uh, has to travel a pretty good distance to the hospital every day. And so I was like, well, since I can work from home, I don't have to go into the office. I'll conserve fuel in my vehicle because I knew she'd have to fill up midweek. 
Luckily, the the line at the gas station near our house was only about 10 cars deep one evening, and so she just, after working a 13-and-a-half-hour shift at the hospital, waited in line for half an hour to get gas and was able to fill up for the rest of the week, thankfully. But yeah. my parents were actually driving up to uh, visit my grandparents in Maine, and so they did a whole trip up the through the Northeast right as all this was going down, and they didn't see any issues in the Northeast. Um, gotcha. At least as they, as they were traveling up, no big problems. Try to think what day it was. My well, and I'll brag on one of my other child since I talked about Cameron playing lacrosse. But my daughter Georgie was just inducted into the Junior National Honor Society, and they had to be there one evening. Just to oh, get, like, cool! Fight. Yeah, so um, yeah, she plays like two sports. She's fourteen. Two sports has a job and um, straight A's. So do, do you ever look back? <laughs> do you ever look back on that now as an adult and go, "How did I do all that stuff?" <laughs> oh. You know, and she had like a bad lacrosse game a few weeks ago and she was in tears. And I'm like, listen, cut yourself a break, little lady. <laughs> You're doing just fine. But I digress. Um, I had dropped her off at the ceremony at 530 and it wasn't going to start till six. So I figured I could run up to Costco and fill up real quick. Well, that wasn't happening. So even just the perception, you know, the lines at Costco were way longer than they typically are. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely yeah. saw the shortages and the lines. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm in North Carolina and we saw the, the backups everywhere. In fact, I think our state was probably, I don't know why, but we must have a lot of panickers here in, the, yeah. <laughs> in our state <laughs> um, where I am in Raleigh. Uh, even this morning, even though the pipeline's back running, we're at uh, 75% of our wow. gas stations do not have any gas whatsoever. So the 25% that do are just absolutely slammed. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to see all that. So in any event, infrastructure plan, definitely something to keep an eye on. Yet another one of those things that we're trying to kind of read. What does this mean for us as individual vest- investors? Hey, I'm all for the infrastructure. I would specifically like to request personal transportation or some sort of solution for when you get stranded on the side of the road. <laughs> Like you did on on Puddin Swamp Road in South Carolina, which recently happened to me. Uh, it'd be great to have some sort of infrastructure where we could get a ride <laughs> to the nearest nearest city right. um, in any event. Uh, all right. Let's talk about capital gains tax increases, Nikki, because this is another big thing that's been talked about. This is a, a proposal currently, right? Like it's not yes. necessarily happening, but it's being not talked happening about yet. Um, so, well, the first thing is we should make sure that our listeners understand um, capital gains and the current tax. So there's two types of capital gains. There's short-term and there's long-term. And short-term is anything less than a year. And long-term is if you are selling something and getting a gain on something that you've held longer than one year. So, um, and short-term rates are just regular old income tax rates. So you don't get a break. But if you do hold an investment, so we're talking about something like um, could be a stock, a mutual fund, um, rental property. If you hold it for more than a year and you sell it at a profit, you're subject to capital gains. Now, understand that if you're a couple that makes $80,000 or less, or you're single and you make $40,000 or less, you do not pay a capital gains tax. So you can sell whatever it is, again, that real estate or that stock, that mutual fund, and not pay any tax on your gains. If you are above that level up to married, it's like 497,000 or so. So between 80,000 and 497, you pay 15% on those profits. 
And then likewise, if you're single, your figure at 15% is 40,000 to about 442 or so. Then if you are above those income levels, you graduate to 20%. So much better than regular income tax rates. So that's why it's people like capital gains tax rules. Now, one of the proposals that I've seen is that if you make a million or more, and I haven't seen it, I think it's just across the board, if you make a million or more, that your capital gains tax rate would be 39.6, which should, that should sound familiar because that was our previous highest uh, marginal tax bracket um, before the laws changed under Trump. But I did hear that that could graduate to a maximum of 43.4. So if you're a skeptic of this, which I'm sure many people are, you have concerns that the increases in the capital gains rates are going to cause people to not want to sell their property. And that makes sense. Who wants to pay that tax? Find other ways to either hold it until the rules change right. or find other right. ways to save or tap into that money or, or just sit there and hold on it for a really long time, potentially. And there are rules around exchanges, uh, kind like exchanges where you can dispose of property as long as you reinvest it. So those um, options are out there as well. It's a pretty significant change, though. I mean, yes, you're talking going yes. from this isn't a OK, your tax brackets going from 22 to 24 percent necessarily, which is still a big change for people, but not massive. But if you do a lot of which I'm imagining a lot of your clients do take out money from accounts, Nikki and are experiencing these capital gains. You talk about somebody going from 15% to high 30s, maybe even low 40s. That's, that's some real dollars. Yep, yep, one, sure. one to be aware of and uh, certainly keep an eye on as that progresses in talks. All right, last but not least, we've had conversations about, um, you know, the climate has come to the forefront over the last 100 days as well. The goal set by uh, Biden and others, 50% reduction in U.S. greenhouse emissions by 2030 and just really kind of leaning into, you know, more and more, um, you know, electrical and uh, battery powered things, wind power, solar, less and less reliance on on oil and greenhouse emitting, you know, power issues and that sort of thing. What about from the climate plan? How does that play into the financial realm? Well, again, whether it's feasible or not and the cost. So, it's a very political conversation because you have people that think that, you know, global warming is doesn't exist. And then you have people that um, are on the totally other extreme. That, but, the, that the world will end in 10, <laughs> yes, 12 years. Right? Yeah, yeah. If we don't if we don't make drastic changes. So now Democrats, again, they say the initiative is going to create millions of good paying jobs for middle class. Um, Republicans, they more express concern for the cost and then the income again on um, the, the traditional energy sector and those jobs. So they also question if the bigger energy users like China are willing to do their part. So if we're willing to, you know, to do all these things for the climate and we've got all these other countries that aren't really on board, are we making a difference or not as far as global goes? Um, they also worry that the regulations are going to hurt the energy sector in the U.S. And, you know, it's just at a point where we have finally, or I shouldn't say finally, but just recently secured some energy independence for ourselves. 
So we just talked about this, but we just saw this week how reliant we are on oil and our pipelines, um, yet the Keystone Pipeline was recently shut down. So one side will say that thousands of jobs were lost because of this move, and then the other is going to argue that the reality is that there's an economic case for clean energy, um, you can't ignore it and that there will be some job loss in the near future, but overall it'll create jobs um, and cheaper energy. So there's, you know, again, there's a side, different sides to every um, proposal here that we've talked about. But I think bottom line is your political views are probably gonna shape what you think the, both the um, intended and unintended consequences are gonna be around taxes and around your investments. So uh, only time will tell. I wish I had a crystal ball, Walter. I would uh, <laughs> be a lot more useful, I think. Yeah, it'd, it'd make things less interesting, though, if you always yeah. knew the result, right? So, <laughs> yes. Uh, sure, we know all the answers, but uh, but yeah, part of, part of life is the unknown and the debates that we get to have in trying to predict and figure out the best ways forward. We somehow have lost that over the last several years, the that spirit of debate. And, uh, right. you know, uh, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole, but I, it's just good to talk these things out, try and figure out, see where the good ideas are. And, uh, hey, if something's a bad idea, trying to root that out and figure out where the truth lies in all these conversations. But, you know, no matter what your political leanings would be, the writing does seem to be on the wall that all these things need to get paid for. <laughs> right. Well, and you somebody's know, got to pay for it. It's, it's probably going to be us at some point. Yes. And I was having a conversation with a friend earlier this week. And the thing that's really unfair, I would say, to people that are trying to do the right thing with their investing and their savings is that the rules keep changing. You know, if we keep switching different political leaning administrations every four years, it's almost like, okay, well, I've been doing this for four years and now they're going to change back to that. And, you know, it's just like, it's unpredictable. And it it's hard to plan for the long term when it right. bounces around so much. Yeah. Right. So I just, you know, I, I, I do worry for investors and for people that are trying to do the right thing because, again, they think they are, but then that might not be advantageous for them four years from now. And we know that markets don't like uncertainty. And and to me, that's a big part of like the climate issue, right? Like if you're in the oil industry uh, mm -hmm. and or just trying to not even in the industry, but just trying to invest and understand things and you see, all right, we've got a lot of reliance on oil. It's not going away anytime soon, but is this going to be an industry that just slowly erodes over time? And so how can I be wanting to get in there long term? And then does that facilitate short term issues and drops and choke points and all these kinds of things? So, yeah, it can make it very difficult to read the tea leaves or even just to make sound long term decisions when things change and flip flop so quickly. Right. right. So, very tough. Uh, well, that's why you got to have a relationship with an advisor who's constantly looking out for these things trying to figure out the moving parts and where the best direction to go in uh, is. And if you are not in that kind of relationship with your advisor, uh, if you've never spoken to uh, Nikki and Dan and the great team at Money and Clarity, don't hesitate to reach out. They can help make sure that you're on the right track to get to and through your retirement years, that you've got a solid plan in place. If you want to set up time to meet for a review of your situation, you can do that by dialing 513-563-PLAN. That's 513-563-7526. Or go online to moneyandclarity.com. That's moneyandclarity.com. 
Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions at all. For Nikki Early, I'm Walter Storholt. We'll look forward to talking to you again next time, right back here on Solving the Financial Puzzle. Information provided on today's show is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been attained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with an investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Nikki Early is an investment advisor representative of Capril Wealth Coaching, LLC, a registered investment advisor. To obtain a copy of Form ADV and a privacy policy statement, call 800-353-7920. 23.